0: Let's take our Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45. Remaining moments of our morning together, we're going to begin our thinking along one of probably the greatest themes that weave throughout all of the Bible. And it's a large theme, and we're going to take a few weeks to handle that topic we're going to begin it, Lord willing, this morning, and then finish it, or at least consider it again next week, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us. Just an opening, I have a, just a simple question to kind of really get down to the, the, where the rubber meets the road uh, when it comes to this grand theme of God's providence in our life, and uh, so one question I have for you this morning is, how many of you might feel like, when you reflect on your life, you kind of have a little abnormal life? Does anybody kind of, Gordon, amen to that? Uh, you'll have to get Gordon's testimony one of these days. Donna, back there, we have heard some of these people's lives. It's amazing Gordon's alive, number one. Donna with the rich... Uh, history of her background and how God saved her. So some of us may feel like when we reflect on it, we, we reflect on our lives, we have a little abnormal life. How many of you feel like you kind of have sort of a plain vanilla life? Does anybody feel like you're kind of just plain? I kind of feel like, a yeah, a cup of good, yeah. Yeah, JP, you and I, I think we, 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 you know, we feel that way. You know, when we give up to give our testimonies, right, JP, it's just sort of just is what it is. It's kind of vanilla. God has just richly worked in and through all the people around us, and we're just beneficiaries. That's kind of my, how, uh, how I would describe my life as a little vanilla, and, and I happen to like vanilla. I like that flavor, and I think JP probably does. And then maybe there's some of us out here. How, how many of you might feel like you're when you look at your life, and, and maybe not the totality of it, but but you really feel yourself to sort of, your your life is kind of has some real interesting paradoxes in it. Does anybody feel like they have a, yeah, all right, Sarah, I see your hand, yeah, in the back there, brother, yep, Rick, some paradoxes. Um, So all of us have an opportunity to reflect throughout time upon, you know, where we are today, how in fact we got here. And what are all the factors that sort of flow into the stream of the result of our life as it currently stands? And we're going to be looking at that. All of that can sort of be summed up in the grand, grand theme of God's providence. Uh, but before we look any further, it would probably be good that we pause for a word of prayer and ask this great God of providence to illumine our hearts and our minds to the idea that this is the truth. This is the reality as it exists in heaven. So we want to apprehend it. And we want our life to cohere with reality, right? Don't we want that? So let's pray together. Lord, we need your help. We confess that. We thank you for the tremendous meditation upon the table this morning. We remember Jesus what God in his great providence did with respect to the question of our eternal destiny. He who knew no sin became sin for us. What a paradox. What an abnormal life. Jesus, you lived it all for us, and we thank you for that. And we remember uh, the severity of the cost, and we're so sorry about that. Well we thank you. And as we come now to consider this grand theme of God's providence, we need help. Uh, there are a lot of competitors out there uh, that would claim to have ideas about why we are where we are now in our life. But there's only one reality. There's only one truth to that matter. I pray that you'd open the eyes of the understanding of our hearts this morning to see that, and then to really understand it and really uh, be able to apply it to our soul, to our personal life, uh, in the very place where we're formulating opinions and where we're making judgments and we're declaring values, and I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to apply it there uh, most uh, pointedly. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I have a simple proposition, and that is this. If you have any hope of flourishing, as God intends you to flourish, by the way, God wants you to flourish. If you have any hope of flourishing as God intends, you must discipline your inner man, that little inner voice. How many of you have an inner voice? Uh, it's not creepy. I think we all have it. We, the only way humanity can work is we have to think in propositions, so we talk. You know, we can't feel our way through things. We have to talk our way through them. So, so we have this inner voice. We're talking about in the discipline of that inner place, We've got to discipline that to the powerful impact of the fact and the reality of God's providence. Period. We want to be careful about giving way to any of the other competitors that exist out there with the question of who we are today, why we are where we're at, and how did we get here anyway. There's only one biblical reality an answer to that question. So can I say this morning, as I've already stated, God's purpose for you and for our church is to flourish. Now, I'm going to use that word frequently this morning. Uh, it's, it's, it's a shorthand idea. I know we don't probably understand shorthand much these days, but did anybody learn stenography or shorthand? Yes, we have some. Good, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, Rose, Good. These are little shorts in grack, you know, little, little oh, marks that uh, employ a lot of meaning. They pack a lot of punch. So I'm going to use the word flourish, but what I mean by that uh, is, is the way to flourishing as God intends us to flourish is for us to naturally grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. Holiness is flourishing from God's perspective the more we can become like God and His Son Jesus and and the fundamental issue is the question of our lack of holiness in our life, our commitment to our own self-interest rather than the interests of God, that gets in the way of our flourishing uh, flourishing as God intends it, is for us to grow in holiness and to be able to live as we truly are new creatures in Christ and not sin, and thereby not have to suffer all of the compounding complications of sin in our life, okay? So that's flourishing. God wants our church to flourish. He wants you to flourish and to begin, I want to paint another picture or, some, or paint some contrasts in metaphor to kind of help you know where I'm going with this. The first um, uh, paint or idea or, or in your mind's eye, I want you to picture yourself in an art museum looking at a uh, beautiful artwork of a rushing river or, or, or a stream of some kind. I want you to picture that in your mind's eye on the one hand. And then on the other hand, I want you to feel and, and, and understand uh, an experience of literally yourself being out on a raft in Class 5 rapids on a river. I want you to contrast those two ideas. One looking at a picture of it, and one being right in the middle of it. For you greek students this is the difference between the aorist and the present tense we're, we're talking about the aspect of your life how do you handle your life what is it what is it what does it look like and if that's too much for you to think you can just think of you know looking at a stream from the shore or being out in the middle of the stream maybe that's a little simpler This morning, we're going to step out of the museum and off the shoreline and get into the raft of God's amazing providence that is rushing to God's appointed end and purposes in your life. And friends, it can be a class five rapid at times, but it's high time we open our eyes and we see it and we understand it. High time. We often throw the word around of God's sovereignty. That's a big word. We would argue God's sovereignty rules over the affairs of humanity. God's providence rules in and through. Prepositions are important. If you failed to learn them in grammar school, very important sovereignty over providence in and through the affairs of humanity. We would argue that these are two sides of the same coin. Just to give you a little bit more understanding of what I'm talking about here. Theologians, people who study the Bible and try to categorize it and make good sense of it so God's people can understand it. That's the job of a theologian. Theologians equate general providence, or God's general providence, with natural law. Natural laws are simply a description of general providence. What do I mean by that? Well, the fact that there is a sustaining gravitational force on this earth is a function of God's providence, his general providence. The fact that there are green leaves that will soon burst into radiant colors of the fall. These amazing seasons that are sustained and repeated in a habitual fashion are a function of God's general providence. Even gender. Gender is an expression of God's amazing general providence. God With this infinite sustaining power, these things were true yesterday, they're true today, and they can be banked on for tomorrow. This generally gives man, all of mankind, the best possibility, as far as it can be, apprehended apart from Christ, the best possibility of enjoying some level of flourishing. Obviously, people who reject any of those constructs, Their life's going to be tough. It's just going to be tough. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a lack of flourishing among whatever one of those points somebody decides to dismiss or to work against. Pastor Mike, last week, spoke on the classic New Testament passage regarding a second aspect of God's providence, and that's his special providence. There's general providence and special providence. Pastor Mike spoke on that last week, and if you remember, that was Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who are the called according to God's purpose. This is special providence. This is a special word to God's people, to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, to those who are called according to his will. These individuals enjoy a level of God's special providence. It's God's special attention given to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This morning, we could see this theme in all kinds of places. We're going to look at one man in particular, and he's already been referenced, I think, in Matt's prayer, and that's the life of Joseph. So turn in your Bibles, I think we already mentioned, to Genesis chapter 45. We're We're going to sort of jump down into these passages and derive truth. From that truth, we're going to sort of formulate a principle and then hopefully make some accurate applications, and that's our task. Now, uh, uh, because of our time, we're going to jump down into these verses. Uh, It's not uh, always the best way to do it, but that's the way we're going to do it, and we'll help to develop that context for you uh, uh, as we look at these two passages with respect to the life of Joseph. So we're looking at special providence in the life of Joseph, and we're building by analogy that you and I, like Joseph, who is called according to God's purpose in a very special way, he received the Christ as his Savior, looking ahead, using the word Christ. We receive Jesus, who in fact is the Christ, who has already come died, buried, and resurrected again from the dead. So our focus is the same. We have both been called, one looking forward, us looking back. But we're going to build an analogy, and we want to we see that these things are, are good for us. But what does divine, special divine providence do? Well, fundamentally, special divine providence, and this is not my term. This is the term of an author I read. It was very descriptive. Special Divine Providence invites you and me into the reality of a biblical house of counterintuitive wonders. Have any of you ever visited a house of wonders at a carnival or a fair? Have you ever seen any of that? Yeah, some of you have gone to Niagara Falls and the Ripley Believe It or Not Museum. That can you know, lean a little onto the grotesque side of things or whatever. Fearful side. That's certainly not what God's providence is. But But nonetheless, it is, in fact, a house of wonders, and it's counterintuitive, and it requires us to stop and to think. It's something that no human being will just sort of uh, uh, apprehend apart from the revelation of God, particularly in this case, in the person of Jesus Christ. So we want to do that. So if we have any hope of flourishing as God intends, we want to discipline ourselves to this truth. So first of all, we're going to consider Joseph in these two brief passages. And I would argue that Joseph, when you really look at his life, like some of you, would say, I have a pretty abnormal life. Wouldn't you say, those of you who are familiar with your Old Testaments, um, Joseph has an abnormal life. Uh, We would say he has an abnormal sort of calling. Um, Evidently, Joseph, when he was a teenager, saw some dreams. And they were amazing dreams. And sort of the upshot of the dreams was everybody sort of bowed down to him. His brothers, his father, this was amazing. And, And in his delight, he shared it with his brothers and his father. You can only imagine how well that went. So he had an abnormal calling, an abnormal experience that, that sort of really rendered the rest of his life in the category of abnormalities. So he had that going for him. And then he had these abnormal catastrophes that sort of plagued the whole of his life. Um, I don't know. I don't think any one of us have ever been thrown down a well sort of languish there while sort of the the political powers that be, his older brothers, those of you who have older brothers know what that's like. While they, you know, decided the fate of poor Joseph. Reason, thankfully, and God's providence prevails a bit and they simply sell Joseph off into slavery uh, rather than killing him immediately and God's providence is At work. This rushing river is picking up this young man, this abnormal life, and it's going to do amazing, amazing things. Joseph gets put into Potiphar's house. Uh, He's lied about. He's cast in prison. He's forgotten. Finally, he has his day, and God uses his unique gift. And he's elevated to second in command in probably the greatest nation this world has ever known in terms of its power as a world empire, Egypt. As Matt already prayed, God does amazing things through this man, Joseph. But the real unraveling of the story is that Joseph is is really called of God to save the nation of Israel. They're enduring this famine. They're with everybody else. It's great trouble, great problem. And uh, this requires, in God's great providence, Joseph to come face-to-face with these rascal brothers of his. And uh, there's going to be a showdown. Or we would think there ought to be a showdown. You know, the, the reality of revenge and embitterment as a result of our abnormal life is a very real emotion, For those of you who would argue that your life has been a bit abnormal. And this is something that um, you have to deal with. Our proposition this morning is that unless you discipline your inner man to the providence of God... You will never enjoy the kind of flourishing that God longs for you to enjoy. And the temptation for Joseph was to turn over to mere human beings the question of flourishing in his life. And he was not going to do that. And In fact, in in, in powerful statements here, uh, let's just get this first one under our belt here in, in, in chapter 45 here it finally unravels and Joseph can contain himself no longer and he exposes himself to his brothers who heretofore he had been hidden from. Um, He's talking to his brothers, verse 4 and verse 7. He says this to them. And God don't miss that. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but God. And then on he goes. What an amazing assessment of his abnormal life. What an amazing assessment to the very criminals that stood before him. He's the victim. He should be wallowing in his victim persona, ready to exact revenge. God's providence completely disallows that whole concept, that whole rubric. That whole structure for those who are the called according to his purpose. Because all things, all things, even abnormal lives, work together for what? Good. But God, does it have to work together for good for the criminals? Well, in this case it does. In this case it does. Is amazing. Uh, God sent me. God wants. I have this is even just chokes coming out of my mouth. God wants to preserve you, my rascal brothers, who tried to kill me, sold me. God Wants not only to preserve you, he wants to save you. From your loins will come the future Messiah. He wants to save you. Yes, physically, spiritually, I believe Joseph knew. And God wants to deliver you. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. Providence, God's providence, does not insulate us from victory or defeats, but it does regulate them. It absolutely regulates them in our inner man. God's providence effectively eliminates the victim mentality. It eliminates it from your life. Remove it. It is no longer an option. Be done with it. Stop allowing mere human beings to control your life. God's providence is in control of your life. Get up on the raft. Right now you might be drowning in the waves. Get up on the raft and ride it. Ride it. Ride into the interests and values of King Jesus for all of humanity. For their salvation, their deliverance. Even the perpetrators of the crimes. One more, Genesis 50. Let's turn there. If that wasn't enough, and it probably is, you're thinking. But I'm thinking not quite enough yet. Genesis chapter 50. So now, now the brothers are really nervous. You want to know why? Because dad is dead. The one reason that they thought kept them alive was because they knew that if, you know, uh, that, that Joseph was doing this because of his love for dad. Now dad's off the scene. Oh my. Here we go. Another confrontation in Genesis chapter 50. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? And they knew it. Oh, did they know it. They'd been sitting all these years, just, they didn't enjoy Goshen. I'll tell you, that beautiful land that Joseph parked them all in. While dad was still alive, they were there guilty, guilty, guilty. And Goshen was not a happy place for them. It only proved God's providence and his power. And they knew their up-and-comings, their day. Verse 19. Joseph's response to them. It's profound. It says, fear not, for am I in the place of God? No, I am not. I don't exact vengeance, victimhood, or vigilanteism. Take your pick. Both of them are disallowed by the providence of God the amazing providence of God you thought it evil against me but here it is but God in his providence meant it for unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save such a people alive vengeance is god's prerogative not mine Ironically, God's special providence, his special providence, often makes a paradox out of man's evil. God overrules it for good. Even if if it causes us to cross over Jordan, to, to move out of this life into the next, all that awaits us is joy unspeakable and full of glory. God still wins. He always wins. And his providence is the movement and the engine of that victory in your life everything, every moment. So both the victim and the vigilante have surrendered the possibility of human flourishing. They have surrendered it to mere human beings. Joseph, as a core value of his life, believed that God not only rules over general events, but he rules in and through them. Even circumstances even catastrophes even evil people you know i think we would all give sort of a lip service that god's sovereignty and even its providence is the norm of god's activity i think we would all admit that in a glbi class i'll tell you tony would insist that we admit it in a glbi class for sure because it's truth it's doctrine We would give lip service. But Joseph takes it a step further. It lives in his life. This norm of God's activity becomes a great normalizing norm for Joseph in his life. It's the great normalizing norm for every person, every catastrophe. Joseph invites us to scale the mountain of God's providence in the very personal inner part of the thoughts of our own heart and mind and how we're handling the day-to-day events, the catastrophes, the abnormalities, all the difficulties. He invites us to scale the mountain of God's providence. It is reality. This is reality. This is how God works. It must become the great normalizing norm for your life if you are to flourish, if you are to flourish. Um, you know, if you, and this is appealing to those of you who are hearing this, who don't know Jesus, could we just encourage you to trust the Lord Jesus Christ? And we could encourage you to apprehend this idea, this truth that God is in charge of your life, that he has brought you to the place exactly where he wants you to be, and he fundamentally wants you and longs for you to consider the place of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. We celebrated it at the table. You've heard it proclaimed that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He who knew no sin became sin for you. It's not until you possess the Lord Jesus Christ that your eyes can be opened to this amazing, wonderful reality of God's special providence in your life. And we commend you to that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We marvel at your work and providence. I pray that you would take us encouraged in this weekend. For those who feel they have an abnormal life, a vanilla life, a paradoxical life, help us all to just open our eyes, Lord, to give us new sensitivities, to, to see the fingerprints of providence in our life, to see, God, how you are, are masterfully are weaving the, the, the beautiful fabric of our life and, and, and the, the radiant testimony and joy and, and witness to grace. It's always going to be. We thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.